you have a great business idea? Have you ever considered starting up your own company? Have you thought about which business structure is right for you? And what are your obligations as a director of a company? If these questions have ever crossed your mind, then you have tuned in to the right podcast. McCabe's is running a three-part series for young entrepreneurs and directors regarding their duties as directors, what this means in practice, and how to limit exposure to liability. This podcast touches on some of the important topics that will be covered in more detail during the series. Hello and welcome to episode four of McCabe's Trial by Podcast series. My name is Paulina Rad, and I'm a graduate lawyer at McCabe's. This week, the podcast will follow a slightly different format. I'm joined by Kian Ng, a senior associate in our corporate group, and Ashley Whitaker, an associate in our litigation and dispute resolution group. Thanks for being here today, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Paulina. Here you've got some interesting questions for us today. Yes. So today I'm going to pick your brains about some topics that are vital to people who wish to start up businesses in Australia, including some of the duties that people take on when they become a company director. So the topic for this podcast came to me when I was engaging in some comprehensive legal research by binge watching season six of Suits. For those of you who know the show, Donna, Harvey's secretary, and Benjamin, the IT guy, decide to start up a business together. Ah, be careful, Paulina. I'm only up to season four in Suits, so no spoilers, please. (laughs) Okay, no problem, Kian. So without giving too much away, Benjamin approaches Donna with a prototype of an electronic device that can listen to people speaking and respond using one of Donna's witty remarks. It's kind of like Siri for your iPhone, only a lot sassier. The episodes feature Donna and Benjamin approaching a number of investors and trying to negotiate a patent, which unfortunately results in a lawsuit against their new business. Now, this made me think, if two people working in a law firm alongside Harvey Specter can't set up a small business without being sued, what hope do the rest of us have? I think that a lot of us have thought about starting up a business at some stage of our lives. I know that each time I bake a cake that doesn't catch on fire, I consider dropping out of law and becoming the next Adriano Zumbo. <laughs> but do any of us know how to actually start up a company? which company structure would be appropriate for our business or the obligations imposed upon company directors by the law. You know, Paulina, these are some really great questions that I think are quite topical. I've definitely noticed in recent years that a lot of people in their late 20s and early 30s seem to be moving away from the traditional nine-to-five job and they're going off to try their hand at some exciting new entrepreneurial business adventures. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing more and more is that young professionals become directors of their own companies And it's definitely an area that people are asking lots of questions about in our litigation team in particular. And Kian, I'm sure you've had a similar experience in your corporate team. We recently had an influx of questions coming in from young directors wondering what exactly does it mean when they start their own company and put themselves up as a company director? Well, hopefully this podcast is going to answer some of those questions. Now, Kian, most people think that a company is the best or the only structure to adopt for a burgeoning business. But there are several other options available. As a corporate lawyer, which business structures can you recommend for young entrepreneurs? Can you run us through some of the peaks and pitfalls involved in each structure? No problem, Paulina. The business structures that we recommend our clients adopt really depend on the type of business that they wish to run, as well as the uh, people that are going to be involved in the business. There are a number of tax considerations that we take into account. The premium structure would differ for each business, but of course, I can give you a brief rundown of the different options available. Yes, please. 
The most basic business structure is the sole proprietorship. A uh, sole proprietor is a natural legal person who owns all of the assets of the business. There are some advantages of this structure. For example, a sole proprietor structure is simple to establish and to terminate. The individual that is the sole proprietor also gets to maintain full control over the business and retain all the business profits. However, a significant disadvantage of adopting this structure to run a business is that a sole proprietor is not a separate legal entity at law and according he or she is subject to unlimited liability and when will be personally liable for any debts incurred during the course of their business. Okay, Kian. For example, I've seen on my Instagram feed lately a lot of women that are stepping out and starting their own fashion labels and health brands. I've got a friend out there that's created her own unique swimwear label and another friend that's getting into the new age natural health supplements. Yeah, my Instagram feed looks pretty similar. I've seen a lot of people becoming freelance makeup and hair artists as well. It's becoming a big thing. Exactly. And I appreciate, Kian, that our Instagram feeds might be a bit different to yours. (laughs) But is this what you're finding in your practice as a commercial lawyer, that these young entrepreneurs are engaging in the marketplace as sole proprietors? And if so, do you recommend that they remain as sole proprietors or should they consider adopting a different structure, particularly noting your comments that there's a lot of liability involved? Yes, um, if they haven't obtained any legal advice at the outside, then yes, uh, we are seeing that these businesses have set up shop as a sole proprietor structure. It's usually my recommendation to sole proprietors that they should seek legal advice in terms of what's best for their business as it grows because being a sole proprietor means that your liability is unlimited, which essentially means that you might be putting up your home savings and other personal assets at risk if the business goes belly up. So that's pretty risky then. So what other structures are out there that you can recommend, Kian? Another popular business structure is a partnership. This involves at least two entities coming together to carry on the business. Some of the advantages of a partnership is that it is relatively simple and inexpensive to set up and provides for the combined labour, expertise, skills and financial resources of the partners. Another unique feature is that the partnership itself is not taxed, which means that each partner pays their own share of the profits of the partnership. Okay, so let's say that Paulina and I have this great new idea. Paulina's got a great eye for fashion, and let's just assume for argument's sake that I'm really good at IT. (laughs) We decide to combine our skills to create a cool app that helps women buy trendy corporate attire on a budget. There's two of us. Would a partnership structure be something that we should consider entering into? It is definitely one of the structures uh, you can consider, but you also need to be aware of the disadvantages of a partnership. Yeah, of course. Mm. Partnership is not a separate legal entity. This would mean that each of you as partners would have unlimited liability for the conduct of the business. So basically you, Paulina, will not only be liable for your share of the partnership debt, but also the debt of the partnership business as a whole. So what you're saying is even though I only make up 50% of the partnership, I'm liable for 100% of the business debts? Potentially, yes. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's a lot of liability to take on. It definitely is. I've seen many partnership breakdowns over the years through disagreements and personal issues between the partners. So it's important to be aware of the disadvantages that come with this structure. Well, it's a good thing Ash and I don't have any bad blood then. (laughs) Okay, so then what's another structure you think that will give us better legal protection? Well, that brings us to the creme de la creme of business structures, the company. Ah, so why is the company favoured by so many business owners? 
Well, some of the advantages of a company is that a company is a separate legal entity, unlike a sole proprietorship or a partnership. This means that the company has the same rights as a natural person and can incur debt, can sue and be sued. A company's shareholders can limit their personal liability for the company's debt to the amount that they paid for their shares. Mm -hmm. Another benefit is that the current company tax rate in Australia is 30%. The rate is much lower than the highest marginal tax rate for individuals, which is currently at 45% plus Medicare. Mm. So Kian, look, that sort of answers how if Paulina and I wanted to be owners of our new exciting fashion business app, we can incorporate and have the company provide us with a bit of a shield from any personal exposure that we might have as owners of the business. Mm -hmm. But the company still needs to be managed and directed. Someone has to run the business. What I think a lot of people don't realise when they start up their company is that the business owners and not necessarily the directors of the business. By setting up a company, as you've touched on, Kian, a clear distinction is created between the shareholders, or the owners of the business, and the directors, being the people that actually run and manage the day-to-day -day operations of the business. Now, a shareholder can also be a director of the company, but very different roles, rights, and responsibilities attached to the two functions. That's exactly right. I mean, all these advantages and limited liability benefits come with a price. For each company, you need at least one director, and with the role of a director comes strict responsibilities. But not two businesses are created equal, and that it is important to remember that there is no one-size-fits-all structure. To set up a successful business and avoid unnecessary liability down the track, it is important that, from the outset, Business owners get tax and legal advice on what structure suits their particular business best. Kian, I couldn't agree more. We see time and time again in our disputes team, clients getting embroiled in costly and protracted litigation that could have been avoided if proper advice had been sought at the outset on what structure was appropriate for that business. Yeah, that's right. Um, we have discussed some of the key structures, but there are other structures available, including trusts and joint ventures that we haven't even touched on in this podcast. So it is really important that people do get the right advice from the outset. Mm. Well, I think that probably brings us neatly to your area, Ash. Kian has run us through some of the benefits of a company structure, particularly for shareholders, but you've noted that there's some distinct exposure for the directors of the company. That's right. I wonder how many company directors are actually familiar with the duties imposed on them under the Corporations Act and common law. Ash, working in litigation, you've seen the consequences when directors fail to act in accordance with their duties. Yeah, we absolutely do see that. Breach of directors' duties is commonly litigated in corporate law. What is interesting about this space is that at McCabe's, we've had a whole lot of inquiries from young directors recently that are asking about the risks that they take on when they assume this role of director. We've had many young entrepreneurs saying to us that they don't fully understand what their obligations are as directors, where their obligations come from, and often they don't find out until it's too late. We always say in litigation that your litigation risk is quite low when your business is at its inception stage. And the reason for this is just purely practical. It's quite rare that someone is going to sue you if you don't have a lot of money behind you. Mm -hmm. Now that risk, practically speaking, really does start to increase as the company becomes more successful and more profitable. Now, as we've seen, startups can become successful overnight. And if you don't have the right corporate structure in place, like Kian's been touching on, or if you're a director of a company and you don't know what your duties and obligations are, 
you really do expose yourself to some significant risks. What we used to see traditionally was that directors of companies would be employees that had worked their way up through the ranks and when it became time for them to get the tap on the shoulder and be promoted to an executive director of the company, they would be sent off to get some corporate governance training and learn exactly how to comply with their extensive legal obligations that they take on in this new role. However, what we're increasingly seeing is that the new age business executive is a director of a startup. And these startup companies, when successful, often grow quite rapidly. And we're increasingly having to defend what would be an otherwise successful company from a range of directors' duties claims. What can be really frustrating for these directors is that so many of these claims result from the directors falling into some really typical and basic pitfalls that would have been simple to avoid if they were aware from the beginning of the extent of their obligations. Okay, well, could you run us through some of the most important director's duties that everyone should be aware of? Yeah, sure. Look, there's a range of director's duties that you have to comply with. Probably too many to touch on in this brief podcast. (laughs) But I can run you through some of the key duties that startup directors should be aware of. Thanks. First of all, a director owes a duty to the company to exercise care, skill and diligence in the performance of their role. In other words, when performing the role of and making decisions as a director, you must make sure that you properly exercise the skills required of your position. Now, the skills that are required will differ depending on the nature of the business that you run. You must also exercise care in making sure the decisions are good decisions for the business. And you must ensure that you inform yourself and keep up to date of the company's affairs. So if I make a decision as a director and it's a bad decision that causes the company to lose a lot of money, would this mean that I haven't exercised enough care or skill and could I be held liable for breaching this duty? No, not necessarily. Just because you make a decision that causes some sort of damage to the company doesn't mean that you've breached your duty to exercise care, skill and diligence. When determining whether or not this duty has been breached by a director, the courts look to what are known as objective standards. That is, they ask, what would a reasonable person in your position have done in the same circumstances? Would a reasonable director have made the same decision? Justice Brereton actually discusses this test in the famous case of Asik and Maxwell. In that case, he said that although the statutory duty of care and diligence would be contravened if a director had not exercised a reasonable degree of care and diligence in the exercise of his powers or in the discharge of his duties, even if there was no actual damage, that could only be so if it was reasonably foreseeable that the relevant conduct might harm the interests of the company. Justice Brereton goes on to explain further that in determining whether the relevant duty had been breached, the foreseeable risk of harm must be balanced against the potential benefits that could reasonably be expected to accrue to the company from that conduct. In other words, Most decisions that you make as a director will have some potential risk attached to it. That's the nature of doing business. And the law understands this. It balances the risk of harm to the company with the potential benefits that the company could possibly derive from the conduct. That makes sense. Well, what other duties are there? Well, another key duty is that directors must act in good faith and in the interests of the company. Directors have a lot of power over the company. And, in a large part, the decisions that directors make will be the difference between whether the company is successful or not. Directors are therefore required to show loyalty to the company and to exercise that power in the best interest of, or for the benefit of, the company itself. 
So, Ash, when you say that directors have to act in the best interests of the company, does this mean that these duties are owed to the company itself? Yeah, that's exactly right. Directors' duties are owed to the company as a whole. Justice Brereton explained what this means in further detail in that ASIC and Maxwell case. He said that the phrase, the interests of the companies, actually captures a number of stakeholders. He stated that it means the corporate entity itself, the shareholders, and where the financial position of the company is precarious, the creditors of the company as well. Right. So there are a number of stakeholders that directors need to take into account when exercising their duties. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So we probably only have time to touch on one other duty. Ash, what other key duty should directors be aware of? Well, another important duty is the duty of a director to avoid a conflict of interest. Now, this is a pretty easy concept that we see in a variety of everyday contexts, but it's an important one. The duty to avoid a conflict of interest basically means that, as a director, you should avoid allowing any personal interests from conflicting with the interests of the company itself. This duty commonly arises when a director considers entering into an arrangement or some sort of contract with another business, and that director has a stake in business B or will potentially obtain a private or personal benefit out of entering into the agreement. So what should a director do if they think they might be conflicted? Yeah, if a director perceives a potential conflict in any arrangement that the company is going to enter into, they must disclose this conflict to the company, the members, the shareholders, and they should take steps to avoid being involved in the relevant decisions that are being made, hand that decision off to another director. Now, Paulina, there's many other duties that directors should be alive to, including, for example, the duty to prevent insolvent trading, the duty to keep records, and the duty not to use your position as a director or the information that you gain in that role to get an advantage for yourself or for someone else. However, we could spend hours discussing this topic. There's so many things that go into it. That's right. And I understand that we'll be touching on those duties and going through them in a lot more detail during the seminars that will be running in August, right? Yeah, that's right. McCabe's is going to run a set of free seminars where young entrepreneurs can come along and understand what their duties are as directors. We've also designed some cool free resources for directors to take home from the seminar to help them identify where their obligations lie. That sounds like fun. So, Kian, what I want to know is, well, what is the big deal if you don't comply with one of these duties? What's going to happen to you? Yeah, look, I mean, the exposure is more serious than you think. If you fail to perform your duties as a director, you may be guilty of a criminal offence with a penalty of up to a maximum $200,000 or imprisonment for up to five years or both. You may also be personally liable to compensate the company or others for any loss or damage that they may suffer or uh, you may be prohibited from managing a company. Now, $200,000 might not sound like a lot of money if this is a multi-million dollar company, but there are other areas of exposure. Directors can also be sued by third parties for breach of their director's duties that they owe to the company. If you are sued and you're found guilty of breaching your director's duties, you can be held personally liable to compensate third parties for any loss or damage, and that can be significant. In fact, the Corporations Act specifically prohibits a company from indemnifying a director against certain liabilities that they incur as a director. So it comes out of your own pocket. Hmm. Importantly, you can be sued by the company itself, and in certain circumstances, breach of director's duties can result in a director being disqualified from running a company in the future. Wow, so the exposure is not insignificant. 
Yeah, and look, if your bread and butter is being a director and starting up entrepreneurial companies, then you want to make sure you're doing it right. Particularly if you're going to start up a couple of businesses between now and the next few decades, you want to make sure that you haven't done something to preclude yourself from managing corporations now and into the future. Exactly. Well, that was really interesting. Thank you, guys. Thank you for answering some of these questions that I've had. Now, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, we're running a free set of seminars for young directors and people who are interested in startups. They'll start in August and provide information concerning hot tips and typical pitfalls for young directors. That's right. We've got two of our most senior lawyers here at McCabe's, the head of the litigation and dispute resolution group and the head of the corporate group that will be presenting on some of the things that Kian has touched on, including what structures you can set up and some of the things that we've talked about regarding the exposure of directors and strategies that directors can put in place to mitigate that potential liability. That sounds really great. It's a fantastic initiative and it's a free nighttime event with drinks and some light food, but places are limited. So head on to our website, mccabes.com.au for further information and to secure your spot. And if you haven't done so already, I recommend you listen to the previous episodes of our show, which considered some interesting and quirky legal questions such as who owns the right to your tattoo. Please review us on iTunes, via the podcast app on your phone, or whatever other platform on which you subscribe to podcasts, as this will help other law students and lawyers find and enjoy the show just as you have hopefully enjoyed this show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next month.